Let's pray. Loving Father, we pray that you teach us um, how important it is to come to you and to rely on your grace this morning and how that should impact our relationships with each other as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not long ago, I visited a man in hospital, um, a man in his 90s. I was a little bit touch and go at one stage whether he would make it through. And so uh, the minister was called to come and pay him a visit. And uh, I sat at his bedside and asked him uh, whether he had assurance that he'd be going to heaven when he died. Uh, And he said to me, well, no, no, not really. I don't really know what will happen then. I, I hope that I'll go to heaven. I said to him, uh, well, do, do you know that your sins are forgiven by God? And he said, well, I don't really see myself much of a, as much of a sinner. I said, well, you're not aware of sins that you've committed through your life, that, um, that things that you've done wrong? He said, well, no, not really. I, I don't really feel that I've sinned all that much. And the conversation went on from there, and I, and I did try to tell him the gospel. But it was an alarming conversation uh, because this man was a long-term churchgoer. Um, He'd sat in a Bible-teaching church hearing sermons, just like the one that you're about to hear, for his whole life, but never once, it would seem, truly convicted of his sin. That is, he was numb to his sin, and not comfortably numb, but sort of uncomfortably numb because he didn't know where he stood with God and he didn't know where he was going when he would die. All he had was sort of wishful thinking. and that's, it's no surprising that he would be a little bit uncomfortable because if you have no feeling for your sin, then you'll have no feeling for God's grace. And if you have no feeling for God's grace, then you have no closeness to God. You've got no basis for a relationship with God and therefore you won't have any assurance of where you stand with him. You'll just hope. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, as you've heard, he gave them this model for prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, which is much more than just a, a form of words that we, we say in church from time to time, but it's actually something that's there to teach and uh, our priorities and our attitudes to ourselves and to God and to life, and it's a model for prayer as well as a, a way of looking at the world and life as well. Um, over the three weeks that we're covering, the three lines of the Lord's Prayer, uh, th- that is the lines that teach us how to depend on God, we're really uh, thinking about how we should view ourselves before God. Uh, In verse 11, we should view ourselves as creatures in constant need of God's provision, and uh, you will have heard about that last week. In verse 13, we should view ourselves as weaklings in constant need of God's protection, and you'll hear about that next week. But in verse 12, we should view ourselves as sinners in constant need of God's forgiveness, and that's our topic today. God's people must learn to depend on God's forgiveness deliberately and constantly. All the time, I'm depending on being forgiven by God. Now, in the original version of the Lord's Prayer, which was read for us from Matthew, uh, as well as in Luke, Jesus describes our sins as debts. Uh, Forgive us our debts. And so we could ask, what is it that we owe to God? What have we taken from God and not repaid? In Romans 1 to 3, there's quite a thorough description of the sinfulness of humanity. And in Romans 1, it says that certain things about God are plain to every human being. Everyone can see these things about God from what he has been made, from what has been made. Namely, his eternal power and his divine nature are obvious. 
So every person, therefore, should glorify God and give thanks to God. That is, every human being owes God our total, exclusive, religious devotion. He should be our God and everything we do should be an expression of our worship of him as our creator. But what do we do? It says there we suppress the truth about God by our wickedness. We pretend that God's not there. We pretend that something else is God. We ignore him and we give our devotion to other things. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 2 that those who have God's written law do not keep it. And even those who do not have God's written law still have his moral values in their consciences and on their hearts. And yet we still disobey even that on a regular basis. And so in the end, in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. That is, no one has given God what we owe him, except for Jesus. Um, The whole world is accountable to God. We are all indebted to God because we have not given him what we should have given him. If a person were to claim that they've never really sinned, then they're basically saying that, they've yes, I've given God everything that I owe God. Um, All the glory, all the thanks, all the worship that God is owed as my creator and the creator of the universe, yes, I've given that to him. Uh, All the obedience that, that is owed to God as the moral ruler of this universe, yes, I've done absolutely right by him. I've done all of that. And I think it's pretty obvious that, no, you haven't, if that's what you're claiming. There are people that I know who um, are very outwardly measured and subdued uh, and who don't put a foot wrong. I think particularly of my sister here. But anyway, that's, I won't go... I shouldn't have even mentioned that. But um, I'm thinking about people who have never said a swear word, uh, who never speak harshly about other people, who don't speed when they get behind the wheel of a car, who don't cheat on their taxes who go to church, who are generous to other people in need, they do what they can, people who just sort of do everything right. But even they, in their hearts, would not come close to giving God what he is owed. They ha- even they have a debt of sin that they cannot repay, and every day they fail again and they add to that debt, like all of us do. So Jesus tells us to pray every day, forgive us our debts. And we need to understand how big a deal it is to ask God to forgive our debts. And I'm going to dwell mostly on the passage from 1 John here as we talk about forgive us our debts. And firstly is the approach to God. In 1 John 1 verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Some people deny their debt to God. They say they haven't wronged him. Uh, I pretty much leave God alone, so he should leave God, leave me alone. I mean, what right does he have to demand anything from me? Well, they're deceiving themselves and they are calling God a liar. And John calls that walking in darkness or not living by the truth. Because God does have a claim on each one of us. So such people who claim they haven't sinned are walking in darkness. They're not living by the truth. And we need to step into the light and acknowledge the truth. We've sinned. We have a debt to God that we can't repay. And mercy is our only hope. God is light, John says. 
so we can't have fellowship with God that is based on lies, because lies go with darkness. We have to face the truth about God and about ourselves, that we're sinners, that there's a debt to God we can't repay. We have to step into the light with our sin as we are. We have to feel the weight of that sin and its offensiveness to God and the shame of that sin, which is why bringing it into the light is so difficult. It's admitting that you're a sinner and you're saying, here I am, God, warts and all. But we have to step into that light and ask for forgiveness, according to John. That's a difficult thing to do. Uh, and also a very improbable thing, really. I mean, if you have a mortgage, can you imagine um, going to your bank and saying, please, uh, just forgive my debt. You're on the phone with your bank uh, and you say to the person who's in the Philippines or wherever, how about just cancelling the mortgage? And the person says, oh, um, I'm sorry, Mr Young, I'm not authorised to do that or whatever they're going to say to you. Um, banks don't stay in business by being gracious. But Jesus tells us to ask God to forgive our debts because why does he ask us to tell us, why does he tell us to do that? Because he knew that he came to pay for that forgiveness. He's urging us to receive an incredible gift from God. Forgive my debts, God. And that, that gift is described in two ways here. Firstly, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That is, the one righteous person who never sinned now speaks to the Father on behalf of others. Um, Someone who's earned the right to be heard by God pleads my cause in heaven. If you ask your bank to cancel your mortgage, you won't get sympathy at any level. Uh, even if you write to the chair of the board of that bank, then you're just going to be laughed away. No one's going to be on your side. But if you ask God to forgive your debts, you'll find that heaven is willing to do it because Jesus, the righteous one, is there right now as your advocate there's somebody at the highest level who is on your side. So that's one aspect of the gift which is absolutely incredible. And secondly, the gift is described as an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that appeases God's anger. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So our sin angers God, and you would think that a request to forgive that sin would anger him even more. I mean, how dare you ask me to forgive your debt? But it doesn't do that because Jesus' death removes God's anger. And so there is only compassion left for those who belong to Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And that offer is open to the whole world. So when we pray, forgive us our sins, Jesus has already done everything that is required for that prayer to be accepted in heaven. That's why he tells us to pray it. He's already preparing the way for that prayer to be accepted by God. And the result of that is that we have fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And given that God is light and we are sinners, it really is a wondrous and incredible thing that Christian people have fellowship with God. I mean, what right do you have to claim that you have fellowship with God? Absolutely none, except for what Jesus has done. And the dynamic of that in a relationship with God, I think, is depicted for us quite vividly in a story in Luke chapter 7. Uh, you might be familiar with this story, but um, in Luke chapter 7, this notoriously sinful woman 
shows up at a public dinner where Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. He's, Jesus has been invited, but other people can come. And this woman shows up and everybody knows who she is. And she positions herself at Jesus' feet and she's overcome with emotion and her tears are wetting Jesus' feet and she's wiping the feet with her hair, which she's allowed to hang loose. And she's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee is there thinking, doesn't he know who, surely he knows who this is and why is he allowing her to do this? Uh, it doesn't seem right. And Jesus says to him, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So when God grants our prayers and forgives our debts, when we realise how much we have been forgiven, it should produce great love for him and for Jesus in us. And that's what fellowship with God looks like for a forgiven sinner. A great overwhelming love for God and for Jesus in response to what he's done. Now reflecting on ourselves, I wonder whether uh, if love for God has grown a little bit cold in your heart or in mine, perhaps it's because we've stopped praying on a daily basis, forgive us our debts. Or we're praying it, but we're not really meaning it or not really feeling it. But great love for God comes from, from being forgiven much. And we need to search for that and, uh, and uh, feel that. The other result of stepping into the light is, uh, that's mentioned in 1 John 1 is fellowship with one another. And a big feature of that new community of believers should be that the same grace that we've received from God flows through us to one another and to the world, including those who sin against us. And so Jesus teaches us to pray here, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, or as we forgive our debtors. Now, why does Jesus add that second part of the verse? Um, why not just leave it with at, at forgive us our debts? Um, you might even think he's kind of spoilt it a little bit. It was wonderful grace until the second half of the verse. And now I've got to forgive other people as well. And uh, in Matthew 6, straight after the Lord's Prayer, as we read, it's phrased as a condition, a necessity. Jesus says after the Lord's Prayer, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So there is an essential link between forgiving others and being forgiven. But the question is, what is the nature of that link? How does this work? Well, I think uh, Jesus fleshes it out in a story that he tells in Matthew chapter 18. And you might be familiar with this parable as well. A king uh, decides to cancel, uh, or sorry, to call in all of his debts. He says, right, everyone who owes me money, get them in here and, and, and get my money back. And one of his servants owes him an astronomical amount of money. It says 10,000 bags of gold in the NIV translation, which I guess translates to 50 or 100 million dollars um, in this day and age. So this guy owes him, I don't know how he racked up this debt, but he did, 50 or 100 million dollars. And the servant comes in and falls before the king and he begs for patience and he says, I'll pay you back, which of course he's never going to do because he's a servant um, and 10,000 bags of gold is 550 years worth of work for him or something like that. Uh, I'll pay you back, he says. The master knows he can't do it, and so he cancels the debt. Okay, don't worry about it. 10,000 bags of gold, don't worry about it. Unbelievable mercy. 
And the point is, that's our forgiveness from God for our sin. Then that same servant, having been forgiven, goes out into the street and sees another guy who owes him a few hundred dollars. And the other guy begs for patience and says, I'll pay you back. But the servant has no mercy and has him thrown into debtor's prison and ruins the man. And this is reported back to the king, who then cancels the forgiveness of the first servant, who obviously didn't appreciate what had been done for him. And Jesus' conclusion at the end of Matthew 18 is to say, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And I think perhaps the key there is the phrase, from your heart. Uh, That's the key to understanding the link between being forgiven and forgiving other people and why it's so necessary. If the enormous forgiveness, enormous forgiveness that we have received from God doesn't transform our hearts, if we are not humbled by it, if we're not made more compassionate by it, if we are made, not, not made less selfish by being forgiven as we have been, then we haven't really received it. A harsh, unforgiving person never really stepped into the light in the first place. They are not forgiven. But what does forgiving another person involve in reality? Well, forgiveness means cancelling somebody else's debt to you. They've sinned against you, they owe you, you have a claim on them, and you cancel that claim. You, you give up your right to pay back. That's forgiveness. So, in effect, you pay for their wrong. Uh, in the parable, when the king forgave the servant, he gave up 10,000 bags of gold. Or he gave up his claim to 10,000 bags of gold, at least. It was extremely costly to forgive that person. If, if uh, somebody has been rude to me and I am to forgive them, then what am I giving up? Well, I'm giving up the right to punish them. I'm giving up the right to get back at them. It costs me, and I pay for that. I'm paying for their sin against me. And this is something that has to come from the heart, as Jesus says. Uh, it has to, something that has to happen in your heart, first of all. Even if they haven't repented yet, you still, in your heart, need to be aiming towards getting to a point of being ready to forgive them. And then when, if they repent, it, it might then involve communicating your forgiveness to that person and being reconciled to them. But the reality of forgiveness between people um, is that it doesn't necessarily mean things go back to being as if it had never happened. For example, if a husband is abusive towards his wife and she separates in order to be safe from him, and three months later he says, oh, I'm sorry, uh, can you forgive me? Let's get back together again. She can forgive him within her heart and give up the right to getting payback from him, but that doesn't mean putting herself straight back into the same situation for the cycle to start all over again. There's a lot to work through and a lot of questions to be asked. See, forgiving doesn't mean just forgetting in that sense. Or another example, if a church leader is found to be um, engaged in sexual misconduct, he's failed his congregation as a Christian leader, they might forgive him and they might restore him to fellowship, but that doesn't mean reappointing him as a leader, as if nothing had ever happened. Forgiving doesn't mean completely wiping it from the memory uh, or pretending that nothing has happened. It means giving up the right to pay back for the wrong that has been done to you, and it needs to come from the heart. 
which of course is very difficult if you don't have a strong sense of how you have been forgiven by God first. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he's urging us to step into the light on a daily basis. And being in the light means reflecting the light in our attitudes to others and becoming like God, in a sense. So every day I need to keep coming back and depending on his forgiveness and living on that forgiveness because every day the sin that's inside me makes its way out again in my thoughts and my words and my actions. And so I need to keep coming to God for cleansing on a daily basis. Do you remember in, uh, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13? And he gets to, Jesus, uh, to Peter and Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, I have to wash your feet, otherwise you have no part with me. And it's a metaphor for, for, for forgiveness, Jesus washing our feet. And Peter says, oh, then, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash my head and my hands as well. And Jesus says to him, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. And what he meant was that Christians have had their bath. That is, we've received forgiveness and we're in the light and the blood of Christ has purified us, but we still need to come back regularly for foot washing because every day we, 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 we botch it up again. We keep sinning and we need our fellowship with God refreshed. So we keep coming for fresh forgiveness, not to be saved all over again, but just to have our feet washed again. And so um, if you're not in the habit of regularly confessing your sin to God, if you are not in the habit of sitting down and thinking, okay, what do I have that I need to say sorry to God for in my life uh, recently, and bringing that into the light before God, and asking him to forgive you for your sins, then make sure that you get into that habit because Jesus is teaching us to do that here. He's teaching us to say on a daily basis, forgive us our debts. And then to make sure that we're sincere about that by also saying, as we forgive our debtors. That's the only right basis for fellowship with God is to know that you're a sinner and know that through Jesus you're forgiven. And it's also the only right basis for proper fellowship with one another, which shows the same grace that we've received. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer that responds to God, and you might like to make it your prayer as well, as we bow our heads and pray in response now. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I have sinned against you, for I am a sinful person. Please help me to see more of my sin but help me also to see Christ. In view of his sin-bearing sacrifice, please forgive my sins. Humble me in your grace, and in that humility, teach me to forgive others as I have been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.